0: Good morning, take out your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 14, it's on page 497, if you're using one of the Bibles you might have picked up when you came in, we're going to continue... Our series called The Return of the King, A Journey Through Revelation. If you're a guest today, we want to welcome you to the Orchard Church. We are so thrilled to have you with us. You're catching us in the middle of a uh, verse by verse study through this incredible, exciting, uh, very interesting book of Revelation. Uh, We started chapter 14 last week. We did five verses. I'm going to finish uh, chapter 14 today. We've called this The Certainties of God. So, this is the Certainties of God part two. And one of the things that we are reminded of throughout the book of Revelation, and the reason we chose to study this book, uh, the most important theme of Revelation. A lot of people look at Revelation as, you know, doom and gloom and judgment, and that's all they see, and they miss the most important theme of the book of Revelation, which is the certainty of Christ's return, which we are looking forward to. Amen? And And this is a reminder. This book reminds us that Jesus Christ is coming back. We are certain of that. Now, what I didn't realize is now, evidently, apparently, we can be certain of the exact date that Jesus Christ is going to come back. Have you seen the billboards? Around town, if you haven't, they're popping up everywhere. You know, Judgment Day, May 21st, 2011. Save the date. Return of Christ, May 21st, 2011. How many of you guys have seen these signs? If you haven't, you will. You can go up and down I-76. If you go down 104th toward Thornton, you can see it coming both ways. They're on the south side of the road. They're popping up everywhere. Uh, it, it's telling us we can be certain of the exact day that Jesus Christ is going to return. Uh, this movement has been started by a man. Named Harold Camping. Um, He's 89 years old. He's been around for a while. This, believe it or not, is not the first time he has predicted the return of Christ. He he first predicted this uh, by reading the scriptures and doing his calculations, however he did that. Uh, 1994, he picked a date, and it came and went. It didn't happen, so he went back to the drawing board, and he recalculated to May 21st, 2011, and he has what is called the familyradio.com network. And you can listen to his programs, which I don't encourage you to do. And uh, you can go on there and he can tell you all these, his reasons why he is certain that it's May 21st, 2011. And, and many people have bought into this teaching. And actually, it's individual people who are following his teaching all around the United States who are paying their own money to put up these billboards with this date that you're, you're seeing. Well, here's, let me tell you what I am certain of this morning when it comes to the return of Christ. I am certain of what Jesus said back in Matthew 24, verse 36. And Jesus said this, and I think we can count on what Jesus said. But of the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven know, but my Father only. And apparently now, the Father and Harold Camping knows. But, you know, it's it's really kind of sad when you see things like this that are in direct opposition to the Word of God. And it's interesting because on a lot of these billboards, it says the Bible guarantees it. And here's what the Bible guarantees. No one knows the day or the hour. Now, I do believe that we are living in the last days. I think many of you believe that, as we've studied through Revelation, and we're seeing so many of the prophecies of Scripture line up. I personally believe that it is very possible and likely that the return of Christ will take place in my lifetime. Um, it may not. I don't know for sure, but, uh, but I, I really believe that, it, that it's very possible that it will. Um, but we don't know the day or the hour, but what we can be certain of is this. He is coming back. We know that for sure. The Bible tells us that over and over and over. And so that is something we can be certain of that he will return. Now, John uh, reminds us, the writer of the book of Revelation, in John chapter 14, there are some other certainties of God. John. In uh, Revelation, John provides us in chapter 14 with some other certainties of God that are going to take place during the tribulation period of time. That's that seven years of tribulation that we believe the Bible teaches will take place on the earth immediately after the rapture of the church will trigger the seven years of tribulation. The first three and a half years we've been studying in great detail, working our way through Revelation. Now we're kind of starting to turn a corner and look at the last three and a half years of the seven years of tribulation that the Bible talks about. And uh, in chapter 14, John gives us some more details of what is going to take place um, going into that second three and a half years of the tribulation. The Bible also describes it as the great tribulation. And I told you last week that in chapter 14, John gives us three certainties of God that will take place during that uh, seven-year period of time. And let me just, by way of review in your notes and your outline, number one, the first thing we looked at last week is we were reminded of the certainty of salvation. The certainty of salvation in verses one through five. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go to our website. You can watch last week's message and get caught up. But we saw the 144,000 that were sealed by God, that belonged to God. Uh, This is 144,000 Jews that God is going to send on the scene. We saw them first appear in Revelation chapter 7. They're going to be witnesses to the entire world trying to get people to come to Christ instead of following the Antichrist. And then we saw last week in Revelation chapter 14, they are finally uh, taken to heaven and they are safe. They arrive safely in heaven because they belong to God and they're sealed by God. And we are certain of their salvation. It's as evidenced here in the book of Revelation. And John mentions that 144,000 show up in heaven safely with God, not 139,000. Every single one of them that belong to God and were sealed by God safely arrive in heaven and have the certainty of their salvation, which was great encouragement to all of us today who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ because we belong to God. Amen? Amen. And we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, the New Testament tells us when we accept Christ. And it tells us the certainty of our salvation, the security of our salvation, that it is a guarantee for those who genuinely, truly put their faith and trust in Christ. Just as the 144,000 arrive safely in heaven, we will arrive safely in heaven. And I think that was of great encouragement to all of us as believers last week. Amen? And so we're reminded of that, first of all. But now I want to give you the other two certainties of God that John points out here In Revelation chapter 14, not only are we certain of salvation, but number two in your outline, we are certain of the gospel. We have the certainty of the gospel that the gospel presentation is not going to end when the church is raptured. It is going to continue. God is going to continue to do everything he possibly can to give people a choice to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved, even during the tribulation period of time. Let's pray, and then let's jump into our passage today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing and knowledge that you never give up on us. You never give up on mankind, and that even in the tribulation, you give people an opportunity to turn to you, to hear the gospel, to respond to it in saving faith. And, Lord, I pray that we'll be encouraged by that today, but we'll also understand the realities of what will happen to those who turn their back on you and who reject you. And as believers, that we would use that as a catalyst, Lord, to encourage us to share our faith with those around us in our sphere of influence, that they might be saved and make the right choice. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 14, we pick it up in verse 6 today. John says, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting, what church? Gospel. The everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. This would be the people that are living on the earth, still alive during the tribulation after the rapture of the church. And you have this angel preaching the everlasting gospel to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. That means everybody is going to have an opportunity to hear this gospel. Saying with a loud voice, this angel says, fear God. Give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. You know, Jesus back in Matthew chapter 24, and I've I've mentioned Matthew chapter 24 several times because Jesus had gathered his disciples to him, and they were asking questions about the end of the world and the last days and his second coming. And he teaches them some things in Matthew chapter 24 that coincide and parallel and line right up with the events of Revelation. I mean, you can lay them side by side and just see them happening. And in that context, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24:14 that would happen just before his second coming. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the what? the world, as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, we understand as believers that know the scriptures that Jesus gave us a command and a commission as a church and as believers in Jesus Christ, that until we die or we're raptured, that we have a responsibility to share the gospel in all the world. In our sphere of influence right here with our co-workers, our neighbors, our friends, our family, to send missionaries throughout the world. That's why we support several missionaries in foreign fields here at the Orchard Church because we believe that God gave us a responsibility right now to carry the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. If you agree with that, say yes. And that's our job and our responsibility now and we do everything possible to see that that happens. But when the church is raptured and we're gone... God's desire to see people saved will continue, and his gospel will continue. We've already seen it with the two witnesses in Revelation. We've seen it with the 144,000. And now God is going to go to even greater lengths to make sure everyone has one more chance. And I believe the complete fulfillment of Matthew 24, 14 is going to take place during the tribulation in what we're reading about right here in Revelation chapter 14, when he sends an angel with the everlasting gospel to fly throughout all of the earth to tell people and to give them that one one more opportunity. Now, it says here he's going to carry the everlasting gospel. Now, what does gospel mean? It simply means, do you know what it means? Good news. That's what it means. When we talk about sharing the gospel or accepting the gospel, we're saying... Share the good news. The good news of what? That God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. We're going to celebrate it in a couple of weeks at Easter so that people could be saved, so people could have a choice, so people could have everlasting life, so they could have a home in heaven forever. That is the gospel that we are to present, and that's the gospel that will be presented in the tribulation period. Now, how is God going to proclaim the gospel during the tribulation? Well, you'll notice that the message of the gospel does not change, but the messenger changes. Today, it's the church that has that commission to go into all the world. Today, it's the church that has been given that commission to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But during the tribulation, the messenger is not the church now, but it is an angel. You've heard this phrase, desperate times call for desperate measures, and God goes to desperate measures to make sure people have one more opportunity by sending this angel with the gospel. But today, it is our privilege, and it is our responsibility. And I think that's the practical challenge for us today as we study these things, is to think about the the opportunity that we have to share the gospel today with people in our sphere of influence uh, around us. And just as God's going to go to great lengths during the tribulation to, to share the gospel. I think we should go to great lengths today, as we have opportunity to share the gospel. If you agree with that, say yes. Uh, I hope you do, because that's what, that's the last words Jesus said to us. Now go and share this with everyone you come into contact with. And here at the Orchard Church, we want to do everything we can to help you guys share the gospel in, in ways maybe you haven't thought of. Last week, we gave these out. They're just little, uh, invite cards they're the size of a, a business card and they invite people to our two Easter services we're going to have on April 24th and these are opportunities for you guys to share the gospel with people you come into contact with you know how many of you guys last week you, you went out to eat maybe at a restaurant some somewhere last week between you know last week we met now you went out to eat how many of y'all went to Starbucks all right don't lie now come on I saw some of y'all you know, how many of y'all maybe talked to a neighbor in your neighborhood last week? You, you had some kind of contact or a family member or a friend. How many of y'all were breathing last week? You, you, you breathe, okay? How many of y'all went to work last week? There ought to be a lot of hands on that. Listen, as you go out this week and next week, would you guys take some of these? And share them. Leave them for that waiter or waitress that waits on you. Uh, Invite that person at Starbucks or at the gas station or that person you work next to. Did you know that Easter is the most attended day in church of any Sunday? We kind of tease around here. That's our Super Bowl Sunday. Easter is Super Bowl for the church. And people that will not consider going to church any other Sunday will go to church on Easter. They're just waiting for somebody to invite them and to tell them. And so, if you, I know a lot of you guys already took some of these last week. How many already gave one out last week to somebody? Several, a few of you? I hope next week all of you can raise your hand. This is something easily we can all do. There's stacks of them on both tables. This is a way for, to invite people to come to the orchard on Easter. Why? So we can just fill this place with people in seats and count numbers? No. So people can hear the gospel. And you know if they come, they're going to hear the gospel. You know that they're going to hear the truth of the word of God and have an opportunity to respond to it. Last year at the Orchard Church in two services on Easter, we had a, almost 1,000. A we had like 995 and I was telling, like, our ushers and host team, like, can you count some pregnant ladies? Like, can we bump that to 1,000? So, but, but we didn't. So this year, we believe we're going to have well over 1,000 people that have an opportunity to hear the gospel. So will you guys do that? If you will, say yes. I'll take a few of these. I'll give them to my friends, my neighbors, because people are just waiting for somebody to invite them. But it's an opportunity for us to share the everlasting gospel. But you know, when the church is raptured and we're gone, God is going to send an angel to take over this job that is right now ours. And let me introduce you to the first of three angels here in Revelation chapter 14. And letter A on your outline, we see the first angel that shows up on the scene shows up with a presentation, a presentation of the gospel. And you'll notice in verse 6, John says that he saw this angel flying in the midst of heaven. This isn't the heaven, you know, Paul talked about the three heavens, and this isn't the heaven where God lives. This is the heaven in the skies. It's the Greek word meseronema. It means a place to be seen in the sky. That this is an angel God is going to send into the earth's atmosphere, and all around the world people are going to see this angel and hear the presentation of the gospel that this angel is going to present during the tribulation. I mean, that, that is a God going to great lengths to save people, isn't it? You know, it kind of as I was reading this and studying this week, it kind of reminded me of the people that go to great lengths to advertise. You know, like the Goodyear blimp. You know, they'll send this blimp into the sky and and to get their message out, and they'll go around, you know, football stadiums and baseball stadiums. And now you've got all kinds of blimps with messages, the Saturn and MetLife blimp and Coca-Cola and people, you know, going to great lengths to share their message. But during the tribulation, God's not going to send a blimp with a message, but He's going to send an angel with the everlasting gospel so that the whole earth can hear the gospel. And probably he's going to share verses like Acts chapter 4, verse 12 that says, "'Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved.'" There's only one name, and it's not Antichrist. It's Jesus Christ. And God is going to go to great lengths. And, you know, I, I hope that what I'm showing you here that's going to happen, and we've seen this week after week in Revelation... I hope this will be great encouragement to those of you who have family members and friends and neighbors and co-workers, people that you dearly care about, that right now you know or pretty sure that if the rapture took place, they'd get left behind, and you're concerned about that, and you should be. And I have people in my life that I'm concerned about, but you know what? Can I encourage you that God is not going to give up on them. God is going to give them. Every opportunity in the tribulation. We've seen it over and over with the two witnesses, the 144,000. Now God's sending a flying angel giving them that chance. Doesn't that encourage you to know that about God? That encourages me. Now, it's better to make the decision now and not have to go through the tribulation. But I'm grateful for a God of mercy and grace and love who continues to reach out to people even if they're left behind. And And let me remind you of God's heart towards people that we sometimes forget in Ezekiel 33, 11, it says this, Say to them, God says, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way. And he live.' God wants people to live. He wants people to be saved. He wants them to have everlasting life. And he even sends an angel during the tribulation to give them that choice and that opportunity. I mean, here we have the hope of the gospel presentation offered once again during the tribulation. You know, we hear a lot today about hope. You know, the message of hope, and we need hope. And I, I think hope is a, is a great message, and we do need to have something to hope in. But our hope is only as good as what our hope is based on. If you, if you agree with that, say yes. Because many times today we're told to put our hope in people or politics or programs. And if your hope is ultimately in any of those things, you're going to be disappointed. That's shaky ground. We've all experienced that. Our hope, you see, is not found in any man that we put into, into authority, whether that's past, present, or future. Our hope is not found in that man of authority. Our hope is found in the man that we put on the cross. That's where our only ultimate hope comes from. I like the way John MacArthur said it. He said, man's efforts to bring about a better world amounts to a little more than rearranging the deck, the deck chairs on the Titanic to give everyone a better view of the ship sinking. And it's true, isn't it? Our hope is found in Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. And if our hope is in the gospel of Jesus, then our hope is certain and it's secure. And it will stand the test of time. Now, what is the specific message of this first angel we see here in verse 7? John says that he heard the angel saying, Fear God, give him glory, and worship him. Worship God. Now, remember, we just came out of Revelation chapter 12 and 13 where the Antichrist is on the scene, and he is trying to get everybody to follow him, take the mark of the beast, 666, in your forehead or on your hand, follow him, worship him, and he's using lies and deceit to deceive people and trick people into following him, and he's also using scare tactics to get people to follow him because the scriptures tell us that if you don't take the mark of the beast, what will the Antichrist do to you? Uh, Chapter 13 says he'll kill you. So people are scared, and they're afraid of the beast. They're afraid of the Antichrist, and he's trying to scare people into following him and taking his mark during the tribulation. In uh, Revelation chapter 13, people are going, who is like the beast? I mean, everybody's afraid of him, and we better follow him. But the Antichrist, he's going to use fear to motivate. But can I suggest to you that the fear of the Lord is a much greater motivation than the fear of the Antichrist? The fear of the Lord, the respect and honor and reverence that he deserves, ought to be a greater motivation. Let me give it to you this way in your notes. You've heard me say this before. It's kind of play on words, but it makes a point. No God, no fear. No God, no fear. And isn't that true? If you know God in a personal way, you don't have to fear anything. And you don't have to fear the Antichrist. And the same is true during the tribulation. But people are going to have a choice. Am I going to Follow the deceit and the lies of the Antichrist and take his mark? Or am I going to fear and respect God and listen to the first angel's presentation of the gospel and put my faith in in Christ and follow him? The first angel gives a presentation of the gospel. And then a second angel comes on the scene, and we move from a presentation to a declaration. And let's see what this angel declares in verse 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now, we're going to get into great detail of what this Babylon is all about in chapter 17 and 18. So I'm going to save the details to them. But for now, it will suffice for you to understand this. The Babylon in Revelation is representative of this. The religious, political, and economic empire of the Antichrist. It's going to be this world government and world religious system that he's going to try to get everybody to buy into and take the mark of the beast. And, it, and, this, and Revelation just refers to it as Babylon. And we're going to get into more of that, as I said. But what is the message from this second angel? Well, watch the progression here. You have the first angel come on the scene, giving people one last opportunity with a presentation of the gospel. People are probably now, they've got fear over here of the Antichrist to take the mark of the beast on one side. You've got a presentation of the gospel to follow Christ on the other side. And people are kind of going, okay, I got a choice. Which one am I going to decide? And God, just to kind of help them out in their decision, he sends this second angel on the scene. And he's like, just in case you're thinking about following the Antichrist and his system, and you think that's what's going to win, it's not. It's going to fall, is what the angel declares. It is fallen. Babylon, the Antichrist, his system, it's going to be defeated. It's going to fall. If you choose his side, you're going to lose in the end. But if you choose God, you're going to win in the end. Amen? You're going to be victorious. You're going to be saved. You're going to have eternal life. And, and this, I really see this as like a last call of God. And, and this is going to, as we move through here, you're going to see this is the last opportunity in the book of Revelation and the tribulation for people to be saved. We've seen the opportunity in almost every chapter. This is it. This is like the last call that God gives. Uh, Shelley and I, you guys know, we're big Rockies fans, and the season is off and cooking, and we were at the uh, opening day on Friday at the game, and had a great time until the end, <laughs> but I had a lot more fun last night. I wasn't at the game, but I was watching on TV, biting my nails. Come on, excuse the street, you can do it, and they won last night, and they're going to win again today, by the way. And uh, we had a good time at the game, but you know, we, go to the, we try to go to several games a year, and, and I'm always, it's kind of almost comical. In the seventh inning at uh, the the Rockies game, they they put an end to all the alcohol sales in the seventh inning. You can't, they can't sell anymore. And so about the sixth inning, going into the seventh inning, the the vendor guys are running up and down the aisles, last call, last call. And it's hilarious to watch people. They're like grabbing their wallet. Mike, give me some money, give me some money. And they're like, right here, right here, you know. And guys are getting up, leaving their seat, and they're going, you know, uh, stand in line. They come back, and they got like 30 beers, you know. Okay, last call, I got the last ones, you know. And they're spilling it on everybody, and you know, Everybody's like just really getting excited about the last call. Well, God right here is giving given a last call, not for alcohol, but a last call to respond to something much more important, the gospel. The gospel. And they have a choice. What are you going to do? The first angel presents the gospel. The second angel declares that if you follow Antichrist, he's going to lose and he's going to be defeated, but you have got a choice to make. And people have a choice to make in the tribulation and today and today, who are you going to follow? God or the world system that will be defeated? You know, which side do you want to be on? And verse 8 here, it's interesting what is recorded at the second angel. Notice it says, the angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen. And what's next? Read it. Is fallen. Yeah, there's not a mistake in your Bible. It says, the angel says, Babylon, the world system Antichrist and all his false ways is fallen. It's fallen, is fallen. I mean, what's up with the angel? Has he got a stuttering problem? Why does it say it twice? That's not an accident. You know what it's saying? It's the certainty that if you follow the Antichrist and you don't follow God, it's going to be defeated. It's already a done deal. It's just a matter of timing that it's going to take place. And this angel is just reminding them of the certainty of God's victory. And which side do you want to be on? The winning side or the losing side? I want to be on the winning side. You know, it reminds me of Joshua. Remember when Joshua got together with children of Israel and the prophets of Baal, which that prophets of Baal false religious system was really a picture of kind of what we're going to see happen during the tribulation, and it was the power behind it was Satan. It's the same power. And people had a choice. And remember what Joshua said in Joshua twenty four, fifteen? Choose for yourselves this day who you're going to serve. But Joshua said, as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. That's who we're going to serve. And we all make that choice every day. Which side have you chosen? Which side are you on? Because only one side will win. And it's God's side. And check it out. We are reminded of this because after the first two angels, there's a special announcement by a third angel. You know, we we interrupt this program for a special announcement. It's exactly what God's going to do. And so we move from the first angel's presentation of the gospel and the second angel's declaration of the defeat of the Antichrist and those that reject God to the third angel's proclamation. And notice the proclamation of the third angel. And this is serious stuff. Verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast... Here's the choice that happens during the tribulation. If anyone chooses to worship the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his, God's indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascends how long? Forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image. And whoever receives the mark of his name. What we have just read is probably some of the most sobering words so far in the book of Revelation. This is the point where there have been those who've had the opportunity several times to receive Christ. Receive the gospel. Be saved. And they've said no. No. I'm following the Antichrist. I'm taking the mark. I'm taking that apparent bailout that he's offering. And I'm going to stand with his side, and I'm going to take my chances. And they've slapped God out of their life. They've slapped his hand away of mercy and love and grace, and they've said no. And this is what we see in the book of Revelation, a pivotal point, the point of no return. I mean, God has given them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, but now it is too late. Once they take that mark during the tribulation, it is too late. There are no other chances. And God has given them plenty. And we've seen that over and over, have we not? Say yes. We've seen over and over the opportunities to turn to God, to be saved, to have eternal life, to be in heaven with God and rest, and be delivered from the tribulation. But these are people who say no. And, you know, I think this is very important for us as believers to understand this truth here. Because as we share our faith and we witness, and people ask us questions, you know, and maybe they're not, they haven't made a decision for Christ, and, and they're asking questions, what's going to happen? And we tell them, maybe they don't receive Christ before the rapture takes place. They get left behind, but they remember what we've told them. Don't take the mark of the beast, whatever you do, and maybe they'll be some of the ones that will respond to the angel's presentation of the gospel, and they'll be saved. And we have that hope. That, that, that will happen. And so it's important we understand these things and we warn people uh, about these things in a loving way. But I want you to notice the severity of this in verse 10. It says, For he himself, those who have taken the mark, shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. And it refers to the wrath of God and the judgment here as a cup. It's like drinking a cup, the cup of judgment. Now, you guys can understand this picture if you think back with me for a minute. About 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested and crucified. Do you remember the scene? He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying to his father. And it was so agonizing what was about to happen and what he was praying for. The Bible says he sweat great drops of blood. And he realized he was about to take. And I don't think that Jesus was scared to be crucified. Here's what I think was bothering Jesus. He was about, he who knew no sin ever was about to become sin for us. And he not only was he going to become sin, but he was going to take the judgment of that sin upon himself on the cross. And his father was going to have to turn his back on him for the first time in all eternity. And he was going to experience that pain and that judgment upon himself on the cross. And remember what he prayed to his father and he said, Father, if it be possible that this cup should pass from me if there's any other way but he said nevertheless not my will be done but your will be done and we know the rest of the story there was no other way there was no one else who could pay the penalty for our sins except Jesus Christ and you know what he did he drank the cup of the judgment of God for sin on the cross for you and I and he drank that cup Now we come to Revelation, and you find people who have rejected God, rejected His love, rejected His mercy, rejected the gift of salvation that's been offered over and over and over again, and have said, no, I'll take my chances, I'll do it on my own. And now, since they rejected the cup that Jesus took for them, they now will have to drink the cup of God's judgment for themselves. You see, here's the deal, folks. It's real simple to understand. We have a choice someone has to drink the cup either we'll accept by faith that jesus drank it for us so we don't ever have to have that judgment on our life or we one day will drink the cup ourselves. i would much rather accept by faith that jesus did it for me it's a choice and you say well what does this cup of god's wrath look like if i decide to take my chances well it's not good you saw it right here in verse 10 and 11 says, he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb and smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image or those who receive the mark. That is a difficult message to talk about. It's a difficult message to teach, but it is what the Bible says. And there are a lot of, unfortunately, people today... Christians, even pastors, many that if I named their names, you would know them, that tell us today, that tell people like me as a pastor, you can't talk about that. You can't teach that. You can't preach that because it's too negative. And people won't won't come to your church. People won't listen. They'll be turned off. It's too negative. And I agree, it is negative. And it's not something I enjoy talking about. It is not something that I look forward today to coming and talking and teaching you guys. But it's in the Word of God, and I can't skip over what I don't like. But here's the deal. People that say it's too negative, that would be like you having a health problem. You know something's not going on right in your body. And you go to the doctor, you see the doctor, and they run a series of tests. And the doctor reads your test results, and they find out you have a tumor. You know, it's cancerous. Or you finds out that you have cancer. Or you have some kind of disease. But the doctor says to himself, you know, I really like this patient. And I really don't want them to not want to come see me again. And so that's too negative to tell them the truth. So they come back in the room and just say, you know what? Just take a few aspirin and get a little bit more rest. Go on vacation. And you're going to be fine. It doesn't change the truth, does it? And sooner or later, that truth is going to reveal itself. And you're not going to respect that doctor any longer. And you're going to say, why didn't you tell me the truth? You know, I mean, why do not you tell me there's a remedy, there's something we can do about it? And I want you to understand, this is one of the reasons why a lot of churches don't go through the book of Revelation, because you have to deal with things like this. It's truth. And yes, it's negative, but I want to I say this to you, church, from my heart. Our, my goal here at the Orchard Church is not to try to be negative or to be positive. Now, I like to be positive. That's my nature. I want to be encouraging and positive. But my goal... And my responsibility when I come before you is not to be negative or positive. It's to be biblical. And that's my goal. And to tell you the truth of what the scriptures say. And as long as I have anything to do with it, that's what we'll do here. We'll teach as as lovingly and as graciously and mercifully as we can the truth of God's word. Even when it's not enjoyable. And what's sad is a lot of people today have tried to dumb this down, this teaching about, you know, being separated from God for all eternity and the, the pain and the, and the torment and, and the things that it's hard for our finite minds to grasp and understand. And so what even some well-known teachers today will say is, you know, to make this more palatable and, and, and accepting is that it's not really fire and it's not really torment and it's not really eternity and it's not really literal. But to say that is to directly go against what the Bible has already said, which we cannot do and do justice to the Word of God. You know, the unsaved world today, to help us be okay with this, says that, you know, you live the life, and then you die, and then when you die, that's the end of it, and you you cease to exist. And that's it. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's eternal life for everybody. It's just in one of two places. Which one do you choose? But even the saved world today have come up with theories to try to make this more palatable. Things like the annihilation theory, which says that people who reject Christ and reject the gospel, they will die and they'll go to a place of torment, but they'll only be tormented for a little while and they'll just be annihilated. They'll be burned up and cease to exist. And that's not what the Bible says. But there's other, other Christians that, and this is popular teaching today by some people that if I name their, na- their names, you'd know exactly who I'm talking about. You you've read their books, you've heard them teach. Another popular teaching day is, is what's called universalism, which says that people will, that reject Christ will go to a place you know, of torment for a little while, but then God's love and mercy and grace will overwin them, and they'll get out of there, and they'll finally make it to heaven with everybody else. That love wins in the end. And that's also not what the scriptures teach, if I'm being honest with you. And this always leads to this question. And you've asked this question. You've had people ask this question. I've asked this question. And I want to help you answer it this morning. How can a God of love send people to hell? How many of you guys have ever heard that question before in one form or another? We've all heard it and we've asked it. And this is not a hard question to answer. You guys can answer this if you just think for a moment biblically. Here's the deal, folks. If it weren't for the love and the mercy and the grace of God, every one of us would die and go to a place called hell. Because that's what we all deserve because we're all sinners. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And here's the good news. Jesus gives us a choice. He gives us an opportunity. He gives, I mean, if that doctor comes in and says, okay, the bad news is you've got a t- tumor, but the good news is we can remove it. We can treat it. Great. Great. The bad news is we're all sinners and if we die in our sin, we're separated from God for all eternity and and we face the cup and the judgment ourselves. The great news is that I love to tell you guys is there is a solution and there's a remedy and there's a choice and his name is Jesus. Don't ever forget this, church. God does not send people to hell. Sin sends people to hell. That's what sends people to hell. God has given us a way out. On September 11th at 846 in the morning, American Airlines Flight 11 slammed into the first tower, the south tower. And word then began to spill over to what had happened to the... It happened first to the north tower. Then word got over to the south tower. And warnings began to go out. You know, there may be another plane coming, and it may hit our tower. And if you want to be saved, if you want to be okay, you know, get out of here now. You know, leave your desk immediately. Drop everything. Get out of the south tower. And some people listened. But unfortunately, many did not. And they didn't take it seriously. They didn't like the message. It was negative. And they just went on with their work. And 17 minutes later, at 903, United Airlines Flight 175 slammed in the South Tower. And you know the rest of the story. And unfortunately, there were people that just wouldn't listen to the truth and heed the warnings. And there are people that way today. Because we have a choice to make. And we're reminded of a person's choice right here in Revelation 14. God is giving people opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, but they have to make the right choice. But here's the good news. Let's let's turn to some good news here. And look at verse 12 and 13, because we see the blessing and the good news of those who do accept Christ and don't follow the Antichrist and don't take the mark and make the right choice. And here's the good news. Look at verse 12 and 13. You're gonna like this. Here is the patience of the saints, those that accept Christ. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith in who? Jesus. Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, "Write. blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, for they may rest from their labors, and their works follow them. Verse 13, we see that these are those that make the right choice, and they accept Christ, and they have rest from their labors. Now, contrast that with what we read in verse 11 to those who accept the Antichrist and his mark, and notice what it says, they have no rest day and night. What's it going to be? Rest in heaven with God forever or no rest day and night? Let me think about that. Yeah, I think I'll take rest. I think I'll take heaven. I think I'll take Jesus. But you see John right here telling us it's, it's one of two choices. What's it going to be? And I love the encouragement John gives us of those that choose Christ. They have rest for their labors. And even though, as I've told you before, and this is the danger of waiting to the tribulation to accept Christ. Well, I'll take my chances. I'll wait and see what happens. First of all, it's going to be very, 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 very tempting to follow the Antichrist because you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't live, you can't do anything. It's the thing to do and everybody's going to be doing it. And his lies and deceit will trick people. And so you don't want to take that chance. You don't know what you'll do in And in in when the world is in this state. But even those that do accept Christ, the Bible pretty much shows us throughout, they're going to die. They're going to be murdered. They're going to be martyred for their faith. It's better to accept Christ now But they have rest from their labors, the Bible tells us here. And you know, I've done my fair share of uh, of funerals. And uh, this might sound a little strange, but I think you can understand my heart on this. There are funerals that I enjoy doing more than others. And the ones that I can go to and I can enjoy is the ones where I know that person knew Jesus Christ. I know they are a believer. Uh, you, You saw it in their life. They testified to it. And even though there's sorrow... And there's pain. It's just as Paul said in Thessalonians, we sorrow as others, but not without hope. And even though there's tears shed because we miss the person, we know they're in heaven forever. And we know that they have rest from their labors. We know that we're going to see them again. You see, as Christians, when, when a Christian, a friend, a family member that we love, uh, that is a Christian that dies in the Lord, you know, we are not saying goodbye to them. We're just saying night. I'll see you again. I'll see you in the morning. I'll see you in heaven. And there's great hope in that. But it's very, very difficult to do the funeral service of someone where you're, we're not sure if they knew the Lord or not. We're not sure. It, it, it's difficult to, to give that hope. And I, I never, ever want to guarantee people are in heaven or somewhere else because only God truly knows their heart. But, but let me say this, to try to encourage some of you that have maybe had family members and people you care about that have died and you don't know for sure... And you wonder, you know, if they didn't know the Lord and you don't know. And I don't want to give you false hope this morning, but can I encourage you with this? We have a God of love and mercy and grace. And you never know in those last moments of our life a decision someone might make. You never know what's going on in their heart between their heart and God's. Even if they're not coherent with us, they may be communing with God. And it's possible, I think, that some people will make the right decision. And I do know this. We have a God that is going to do everything possible to give them a chance. We've seen that over and over in the book of Revelation. You know, we, you say, well, do you have any examples of that? I absolutely do. Do you remember the thief on the cross? Right before the, one of the thieves drew his last breath, he responded in faith to Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. If it can happen to the thief on the cross, it can happen to a lot of other people. And I don't want to give false hope, but I just want to encourage you. You never know what God, you know, what that person has done in their heart. I do know this. We have a God that's going to give them every opportunity, and we see it again today right here in the book of Revelation.